Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And this is our podcast for August 2023, episode 220. 220. Wow. We've been doing this a long time. You know, I just watched an interesting special on CNN called The 80s. <laughs> Which, of course, we remember like it was yesterday, I would say, wouldn't you? Yes. Uh, uh, the, the 80s were not that long ago. And one of the things that struck me was the prominence of TV. And I can remember this. Um, in people's lives. In people's lives. Uh, in the United States, anyway. And that we would all watch uh, All in the Family or MASH or Who Killed J.R. There was appointment television, must-see television. And because you didn't have a videotape recorder or anything, you had to sit and watch it at the time that it was on. I mean, we used to do this with Ed Sullivan, but probably nobody remembers Ed Sullivan anymore. We did it as a family as a kid. And if you'd go to work the next day, everybody would be talking about it. And if you missed it, you missed it. The MASH episode has had the largest viewership of any TV show ever. Uh, at 120 million Americans were watching one single TV show. The Farewell one. The Farewell the one, one uh, the last one, and that was in the 80s. And that hasn't happened since. I got my first VCR in 1976. And you were probably the first one on your block. <laughs> me? First one on the block? That doesn't sound like me at all. And we used it mostly for time shifting. And, of course, I had to fast oh, fast forward through the commercials. And Anyway. And a lot of people struggled with getting them set right so that it would record uh, what you clock. wanted when you, you wanted. You don't have blinking clocks anymore, And do changing you? the time when the time changed. Oh, life was hard in the 80s. I know. <laughs> recording stuff. And, of course, before that, we had no recording system at all. Ten years later, we started the podcast. We started this no. podcast in 2006. Yeah, that's not ten years later. I about did the my 80s. first internet web page in 1994. Ooh, I've been doing this a while. Yes. We're very glad to have you here, dear listener, and we still are doing the podcast. Uh, we're coming up to about, uh, I don't know how many years. <laughs> Quite a few. And we're still doing it as a uh, pro bono. Because people are still listening. Because people are listening, and we like to hear from you guys. So please keep in touch with us. Uh, you'll not hear any ads. We don't say stop, and uh, we don't say we're going to give a message. Oh, boy, do I hate ads. TV programs, I record them just so that I can get rid of the ads. He's a fanatic. And I don't watch stuff. Well, very, very little. Even the news I record. We don't like ads. We don't want you to have to hear ads in your not going to hear ads or any solicitation for money so but listen as, if you will but as all these people are walking around with their strike signs Ooh. money has to be made somehow some way oh, yeah. you and i are lucky that we can make a living without getting any monetary advances from the podcast but and we can keep the podcast going without media costs money but it's the emails and the comments from listeners that uh, keeps us going. So That's our reward. That's our reward. So that's our, our payment. So please uh, keep it coming, and we will uh, try to do, talk about interesting topics. And we have several eclectic topics today, and only some of them deal with RVing. 
Because yeah. <laughs> this past month, we just haven't done much RVing. But it's coming. We're getting back on the road. Our cruise, soon. which we're about to embark on, uh, it leaves on August 2nd. And it will be a Norwegian cruise that heads north from Bergen and goes all the way north of the Arctic Circle. <gasps> will we see the Northern Lights? We could, but it'll probably be cloudy and rainy. <laughs> Part of the reason we're going back to this area is we were there in November, I think, and it was cloudy and raining often. And so there are things we missed and things we wanted to see again. And after a a trip in Europe last summer, which was very, very hot, just as Europe is very, very hot this summer, we learned our lesson and said, let's head north. So we're leaving from Bergen, which is pretty far north already, and we're going into the fjords. Now, a lot of people ask, why would you do a Norwegian? Norwegian fjords as opposed to an Alaska fjords. Because Alaska doesn't have nearly as many fjords. (laughs) Well, the Norwegian fjords are very deep. We can go 100 miles on some of them into the interior of Norway on the fjords. Even though Norway has done a really good job of building railways and roads, uh, it's almost easier to see the country from the water just sailing in and out of the fjords than trying to tour it by car. Although in doing some research for this trip, we have been watching uh, YouTube videos about people driving to some of the fjords that we're going to, and boy, their roads are spectacular. So I would really recommend a trip to Norway. And I think uh, English is widely spoken, yeah. and you could drive. They drive on our side of the road, so that makes it pretty easy. They've also been working really hard on connecting all of the coastal islands yes. to the mainland, sometimes by tunnel, sometimes by bridge, sometimes by causeway. It's a very well-developed country. They have profited greatly from their oil reserves and managing them properly. So they are very rich, and you as an American are not. Oh. To me, one of the most daunting things about going to Norway is that my wallet is never big enough. So (laughs) having a cruise that we pay Uh for one shot and that's it is a comfort to me because I know that I can't overspend too much. Uh, I remember when we stopped in Iceland on our own, which we're going to do again on this cruise ship, and we bought um, two bottles of water and two ham, no, not ham, just cheese sandwiches, (laughs) and it cost us $29. This was a few few years ago. ago. Norway is spectacularly beautiful. I'm delighted that we get to go there again, but it ain't cheap. But if you're going to Alaska, you're going to have to fly anyway, and and for most parts of the... No, you drive your RV. That's the way to really do it. (laughs) That's what we would recommend. Is this this an RV podcast by (laughs) chance? What are you talking about? (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Well, if you're going to fly, if you're going to do a cruise to Alaska, which is really what I was thinking. A lot of people do. Yeah, a lot of people do. And it's it's a nice way to see it in a short period of time. But I think Norway has a more spectacular inside passage. I think we're going to go up the north coast. and Well, we'll give you all the details next well, month. Well, there's a different approach when you do national natural stuff in our country as opposed to Europe because Europe is very densely populated, mm-hmm. even though you well, don't feel that so much in Norway. But it's very easy in Alaska to look outside and see nobody but yourself and no domiciles, no signs that any man was ever there before you, even though there probably was somebody. But in Europe, even in Norway, the there are many cute little houses, brightly painted. Yeah, the little um, villages. Yeah, old, old stuff from when people tried to farm and those very steep hillsides. And it gives you a different impression of the fjords. 
good point, and we'll probably have a lot of great calendar pictures that are created on this trip. Of course, everybody knows and comes to our website to pick up your wallpaper for your monthly uh, picture so that you can have memories of our trips on your background. Like we do. Well, anyway, I like them. Anyway, so they're good. You have pictures. fun working on them. I, I enjoy the pictures. So Norway, I think, is as scenic as Alaska, but but in a different way. Well, it doesn't have the animals, but it has scenery, more scenery, better scenery, more accessible scenery. Whereas Alaska has animals. I don't anticipate we'll see much besides birds. No, because there were so many people there. For well, centuries. that's well. But you go to Alaska. People are not nice to animals. Yeah, but you see lots of animals when you're in Alaska. Usually, if you're on, but especially saying, if you do an RV trip. But I'm saying in Norway, there were always explorers okay. and Vikings and Norsemen, and and so the animals are fewer and far between. So we sail for about a week and a half up the Norwegian coast, the west coast of Norway. We go to. Uh, an island off of Norway that's north, about 500 miles, named... Svalbard. Thank you. <laughs> Which we were surprised to see that we had been to before. <laughs> the last time we were there, we flew in through a thick cloud cover, and I'm not sure I even realized how much I, I was... I thought I was part of still on the continent. <laughs> disconnected from the land. Uh, oh, so we're delighted bad. to be able to go there again. And being very scenic. Being north of the Arctic Circle is always a north, thrill. North, north, north of the Arctic I'm Circle. I'm kind of thinking of this cruise as it following the Arctic Circle, but that's not totally true because compared to Svalbard, Reykjavik in Iceland is much further south. As a matter of fact, we're sailing over a 1,000 miles south over two days to get to Iceland. So then we do three or four stops in Iceland, and we then sail to Greenland, which is rapidly becoming more and more exposed. Right. And then we head to Canada. And where, where we hope nothing is on fire where we are. And ending up in New York um, on September, well, actually August 30th, but we're not coming home until September 2nd. So we'll be gone about a month. So the next podcast will be done on the cruise. But we are when we come home from this cruise, we're only going to be home for four or five days, which is a kind of a tight schedule, but... <laughs> Can she handle it? Things happened that made it be that way. And uh, then we're getting in the RV. So then you will hear lots more about <laughs> RV adventures, which is purportedly what this <laughs> podcast is about. We'll get back to the core coming back. But um, people ask us which cruise line we like the best. And we say the next one. Yes. But this cruise, cruise we're taking on Viking. And there are two components to Viking, Viking Ocean and Viking River. And so if you've seen Viking commercials, on TV, undoubtedly it was the river cruises, and they show you sitting in a riverboat with a glass of wine in your hand, looking up at the beautiful scenery on both sides of your ship as you travel. They have 55 river ships. And that's where they made their mark, I yeah, think. Yeah, that's where they started. And then a few years ago, they started by getting uh, some ocean vessels, which they had built, custom built. They're all identical, and there are 10 of them. We started with Viking... During COVID. <laughs> When the 930-passenger ship that we were on had 180 passengers and 400 crew. 
And we realized that that experience is probably not going <laughs> to closely resemble the experience we're about to have. But it sure was a thrill to be on a cruise ship again during COVID. And that was, uh, we left from Malta and went to Croatia and some other places. And I'm sure you'll be interested to go back and listen to that podcast. However, this one we will be on 28 days and we will be sailing, as I just mentioned, from Bergen to New York City. And we are on a ship called the Saturn, which is brand new, and we will be having a balcony because all the cabins on these ships are balconies. And when you're in that part of the world, you might think, oh, it's too cold to sit outside on your balcony. But when we've sailed in that area before, I have great memories of watching the icebergs that you go past. Hopefully the captain is keeping a good eye on them and you're not going to crash into one, uh, which are beautiful and vary in appearance greatly as you sail around them. Uh, They're not made by man and they're mm-hmm. very multi-dimensional and beautiful to see so even on that kind of an itinerary a balcony is nice to have so we're switching from a mega ship what last year for instance we sailed on princess and we're going to be sailing on uh, holland america in the not too distant future on one of these three or four thousand passenger ships we're down to 930 passengers on this one. Viking does a very nice job of this, and they were recently voted by Travel and Leisure magazine as the best of the small cruise ship companies. Um, So we're we're looking forward to going on them again. But we're not taking one of their exclusive expedition ships which are much smaller in that's the a new category for them as well right right they're just they just built two expedition ships and you'll see expedition sailing as other cruise option. lines do other that cruise too. lines many cruise lines have expedition ships you can go to the galapagos antarctica, antarctica is a big one and the arctic which is something i would like to do go up and see some uh, polar bears and things in the far north although we're going pretty far north on this trip but the bottom line is is that these are substantially more expensive the expedition cruises than other ones and they have virtually no shore excursions because you go out in zodiacs in remote locations so if you're looking to do an Antarctic trip, for instance, and you choose an, a line like Princess or Celebrity or Holland, does Holland, Holland or somebody mm-hmm. like that, you'll find that those ships cruise by things but don't elect, actually allow passengers to get off because there are no cities. There's nowhere to dock. Right. They, could, so they can't come in. By taking an expedition ship, that means that it has a very limited number of passengers and... It allows for landings, and landings are done with Zodiacs, which are these inflatable outboard motor powered rubber boats. Rubber boats. And this is, and of course, very labor expensive, very equipment expensive, um, intensive, so that's why it's so expensive. Right. We didn't do uh, our Antarctic with an expedition ship. We did <laughs> with kind of a hybrid, I think. It was with Hertegruten, and Hertegruten is a ship line that does primarily the Norwegian, Norwegian coast. coast. And they have a special ship or two that does the Antarctic and cold weather. They're ice-hardened and things like that, and they do have Zodiacs for everybody on board. There were about 400 passengers on ours, but it was still pretty expensive. So mm-hmm. There are a couple of ways to do the Antarctic, and I definitely would recommend that you do the ones that where you get off. I need to add that I am delighted to be able to go on this cruise and to leave home finally and resume my normal life because my knee has healed up quite well. I 
went to the surgeon for my four month yeah. visit, and three, he I think. three months. I had a few aches and pains and a few things that I can't do quite properly yet. And as I ticked them off, he kept saying, "It's normal." It'll get better. <laughs> it was amazing. It's normal. <laughs> It'll get better. See you next year. <laughs> and so that was music to my ears because um, he seemed satisfied with my progress. So and you've been a little be... worried about some of the aches and pains that right, you've had. Right, But So I think that I will be able to do everything that is required or that I want to do on this uh-huh. ship, and I'm glad to be done talking about my knee. And that's uh, basically stairs and walking and that sort of stuff. We're confident that this trip will not be a tax on your knee. That I can keep up. Yep, that you'll be able to do it as you would. Last month we mentioned about replacing the dinette, and I was uh, surprised to get several emails about the fact that this, many people thought this was a very good idea to get rid of your dinette. That's because you didn't think it was a good idea. <laughs> I know, but you did. <laughs> I still am kind of skeptical about a dinette. One of the reasons I, I would have a dinette is, is so that I would have a work area for kind of an office that you could leave up. If you have to put the table up and down all the time in order to... Uh, use your computer, that would be kind of a problem. But there again, I think it's not the 80s anymore. Uh-huh. And a lot of people are working on their phones. You don't need a, a tabletop they have their phone? To, to do that. Or their iPad, which is not a whole lot bigger. Or they're working on a laptop that they're holding on their lap. I, when I think of my really? computing in our RV these days, most of it is done in my favorite comfy chair, which is my navigator chair, turned around <laughs> facing the yeah, living yeah. room with a laptop on my lap. It's good enough. When space is limited, you have to compromise. No question about it. Uh, but when we were buying our RV, one of the things that appealed to me was is the fact that ours has kind of a workstation. It has a place for a printer and a scanner and a place for – I take a regular desktop computer along with me. Right. Because and I have a place to put it. You're working a lot on your beautiful photographs, and the more you can see them, the better you can see them, uh-huh. the better you're editing and – um, understanding of what the picture was that you were trying to take can be. And that's where my laptop doesn't hold up very well for uh, me. And I don't have to put away my printer. I don't have to put away the computer when we want to do something else like eat dinner. So I don't know. That's important to me. And so today, today's topic or today's article that you should read is about choosing a motorhome or a, an RV that has an office as a wor- workspace. There are actually several manufacturers who are incorporating office space into their RV. And maybe you want to convert some of your space into a office, and that would be to accommodate the, the extra things you want to do with uh, technology. So your assignment today is to read this article <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and then send me an email about and, how terrible it is. <laughs> and decide how much office space you really need. Yeah. Well. How to prioritize your space. So another eclectic topic that we want to talk about is this bike gizmo that I bought. I've always wanted direction signals and a light on the back and a uh, alarm on my bike. But all of those, you have to spend extra money and and you have to install them and keep them working and putting batteries in and stuff. But I found a device, which was only $30, that has a wireless remote. So you take the remote and you put it onto the handlebars, and it acts as a multifunction horn. And a theft device. And it because you can when you take turn it on off the, and put it in your pocket yeah, and walk you, away. You take the, the wireless uh, remote with you, and it will alarm when the bike is moved which is also very cool. It has direction signals on it. 
This is just a very cool all-in-one de device. So it has turn signals, a brake light, a bike alarm and remote, auto on-off rechargeable waterproof bike horn alarm, rear brake lights, turn signals, and all that stuff with remote. And of course, you can find this on Amazon. As always. As always. I bought two of them, put them on our bikes. Uh, it, it attaches fairly securely. <laughs> what good is an alarm that somebody could take off? <laughs> well, no, you take the alarm with you when you leave no, your but bike I mean, No, no, I understand that. But, I mean, you want it firmly attached to your bike. And it doesn't look like an alarm. But that alarm piece can fall off if you're not careful. Not fall off. Well, it, it's no, it's it's firmly attached. What I'm saying is, is that it doesn't come off very easily. We kind of manhandle our bikes when yeah. we fold them up and take them in and out of the car. So <laughs> some of this need, stuff needs to be fairly robust. And of course, then you need to teach your wife how to use the wireless remote. Oh God. <laughs> The alarm works sometimes, and sometimes she sets it off all by herself. Anyway, it's a nice little gizmo, and uh, I would give it a try if you're if you have bikes and you're worried about security, and you'd like to have it has a brake light and turn signals and a horn, all that sort of stuff. Unless we're really riding by ourselves in the middle of the woods, um, I think it's only a courtesy to let people around you know if you're turning left or turning right or braking. It's just a safety device, and certainly if you do any city writing uh it's essential yes we think so well i have a little bell too which is less interesting the problem with the bell every time i come up behind somebody they've got <laughs> earphones in their ears and they can't hear it this so. alarm is loud anyway um now the question is do you have a ting until very recently i did not and what do you know about the ting <laughs> T-I-N-G. It sounds like there must be a catch somewhere, but so far we haven't found it. It's a gizmo that you get for free. You order it from our insurance company, yes? Right. And and even I could install it because all you do is take this gizmo and plug it into the wall. Well, and, you have to download the app. Though. And download an app which which is it's going tough. to monitor the information that the device is gathering about your home. So this is kind of like a smoke alarm for your electrical system. <laughs> now, what does that mean? Well, your smoke alarm just kind of monitors what's going on in your house, and if it senses that there's a problem, it, it alarms. One of the places that you might have a problem is with electricity, that there is a short someplace, that there is some problem with your electrical system, or uh, coming into your house, there's a brownout or something like that. So the ting... <laughs> plugs into is a very small device it plugs into any plug in your house outlet and it then monitors the micro voltage changes in your house and it takes it about a week for it to learn what is normal in your house and then it watches for problems and it's amazing that when you read the anecdotal stories about people having the ting in their house about how they have had problems that they didn't even know about and the ting had actually sensed this and they had it fixed and it was actually quite a serious problem and if it is a serious problem ting sends um, an electrician to your home at no expense to you because the insurance companies, especially these days when they're canceling everybody, are highly motivated to prevent problems that they have to pay big bucks for. This so, is unbelievable. So if you've got some kind of an electric problem in your house that you don't even know, much better to fix it than to have it burn your house down. So last month at this time, I'd had no idea what a ting was. But a friend of mine mentioned that he had one, and I said, oh. And he said, do you have State Farm? I said, yes. And he said, well, you get it free from State Farm. So I went on the State Farm 
Farm website, and lo and behold, there's a little form that you fill out, and they send it to you for free. And I got it within two or three, literally two or three days, just like I get all my hundreds of packages from Amazon. <laughs> and I plugged it in, and I've been monitored ever since. And they will send you an email if there's a problem that the, that it detects. You can look at the app and see how things are going in your house. There was one guy who had um, some mice who had chewed through a neutral ground on his someplace in his house, and it was causing a short, and he didn't even know it. And, and the ting picked it up, <laughs> and they said, we're going to send out an electrician to your house. The guy found the problem, fixed it, and... You know, that's the best news you can have is, is that your house is safer now. Now I'm wondering, could you put one of these in your RV? That's a really interesting question, and I would doubt it because your voltage or your changes are so frequent. And you're changing from inverter to, to so shore power. So if you power. were the kind of RVer that goes somewhere and plops down from the summer or for a few yeah. months oh, in the winter. Possibly. You could, it could prevent problems. Because to me, I feel more worried about our electricity in the motorhome because of all the extraneous factors that don't have anything yeah, mice to do could with you, us. Could really yeah, could. and things nibble on you when you're in, a motor, in an RV as well. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Um, hmm. Ting is available as a monthly fee. But the ting that I got is from State Farm. And they're paying the monthly fee. (laughs) And they are paying the monthly fee, and they must think that it saves on their insurance payouts. So that's good for me. And I would think I could get one for my RV. But you had to pay. I, I don't know. I don't know if I could just take this one. I could put it in the RV, I guess. But it would have a mental breakdown because it has learned our house, and now it would be monitoring yeah, something. Totally I don't know. It says that it, it monitors 100 different types of micro-voltage changes every day. I don't know. It sounds impressive. I don't it's, know what it, it sounds very impressive, but you're right. I have no idea what it means. But if you have State Farm as your insurance or if you're just interested in having this, go to ting.com, T-I-N-G.com, and you can see the entire process in, in progress. Okay, the next eclectic topic. We're jumping around here, but we are going to get to an RV topic pretty soon. Well, that was kind of RV anyway. California uses controversial three words location system to help the lost traveler. So what is this? From what I understand, I've read about this before. They've taken, it's not just California, it's in yeah. other places well, too. They've taken, let's say, the map of the United States and drawn horizontal and vertical lines. And within each intersection of those lines, there's a little square of land which they have given a name. And that well, name is a common word of some sort. And so if it, you're using it as an orientation service, uh, your location is determined by the line and by the common words that you are by. So rather than reading somebody a complex GPS number, you say, I am at Stone Bottle Can. And and it would know where the intersection of those lines named those words Mm -hmm. are. And it's an easier way to orient yourself and for people to come find you. Right. And I think we've mentioned this prior to this. There's a three words app that you would get and that instead of using your GPS to tell uh, searchers where you are, you just give them the three words. And those three words are usually easier to understand, easier to communicate than the GPS coordinates. Because with GPS coordinates, you've got to say north, south, east, and west, and you have to have two numbers and they could get them confused, whereas this you just give them three 
easy-to-use words in English, and they can take those words and plug them in and get the GPS coordinates automatically from the app. I'm thinking when we used to do geocaching, uh, sometimes there were two ways to report a GPS mm-hmm. location with the numbers not matching correspondingly, and sometimes we'd end up way off because of that. So this seems like a better way to do it. Yes. So, for example, say you were stuck on the very top of the Space Needle in Seattle. You could tell rescuers your map coordinates, or you could simply say, gender quit tanks. And those three words should pinpoint your needle location in 57 trillion squares. So that's how, that's how detailed it is. The interesting thing here is, is that the emergency services in California are actually accepting these words and using them to find people. It gives meaning to them. Yes. So we haven't had a, a Starlink update in quite a, quite a while. But they're still chugging away, throwing those satellites into the sky. And you know that Starlink now has uh, 4,700 satellites in the air, wow. which means that their coverage is becoming broader and broader. And as I read the posts on the Internet, there are more and more RVers who are interested in Starlink, and it's becoming more robust. So what do you need to get into Starlink? Um, one of the things is you can go down to your local Best Buy and buy the equipment there. It costs $600 or so, but it's a one-time purchase, and that includes virtually everything that you need. And then you take the Starlink dish, you set it up outside your motorhome, and if you are in an area with a fairly open northern sky, you will have high-speed internet in no time at all. You're skeptical. Once you set it up, do you have to move it? Only when you move. Yeah. You said motorhome. I was envisioning... You park your motorhome and you take out the dish. And people used to have these long wires with the old-style dish where they would feed it out in between the trees. You have to get it out so you can see the sky. So that could still be an issue. And you have to have a fairly broad view of the sky, unlike prior satellites that aim at a specific point in the sky, and you only needed to, to see between that. Between those two leaves on that tree. Exactly, okay. which we have done, believe Many me. Times. Now you have this portable dish, which weighs uh, not very much, and it then has a wire that goes back to your motorhome. And you can get wires that are 150 feet long, so you can set it quite a ways away. That's good. And people say, well, what? happens if somebody steals it it would be useless because it's attached to you and you can't change the account without the account holder making it happen so stealing the dish shouldn't be too much of an issue however in order to see more of the sky a lot of people put them up on flagpoles and nowadays you could buy flagpoles from harbor freight and other people that have mounts on them for the dish and that help you get it higher because higher means that the trees are less uh, of an object are they very portable yes because they're you've seen the portable the flagpoles on the back of rvs yeah they're pretty portable so it's really not very big it's just bigger the flagpoles, no, it's a standard flagpole, but mm-hmm. the dish on top, they have a special mount that you can use. They're to, ready for that. I'm not sure it would go through a hurricane, but it would be viable for most situations. And it automatically finds the satellites and tracks them. Oh, that's but it doesn't a blessing, move. isn't it? All those days spent listening for the beep. <laughs> She's bringing back great memories of technology, especially in Alaska where we were up there. It would easily take us an hour to get everything connected. It was not. And that's where we were trying to do Internet as well as TV. These days with the TV, it works pretty good. But there are different kinds of services that Starlink offers. Well, that's one of the confusing factors, I think, is, is that 
Starlink is very dynamic in that they're, they keep changing things and that it's confusing if you're not following this stuff. So right now, um, they have three plans that you can buy into, and the, the second two are, are very confusing. The first one is called Standard, and that's where you would have it at your house, and you would permanently mount the, the satellite dish, it and it would be anywhere. just to replace whatever Internet system you have. And maybe you couldn't get one, but this allows you to have it wherever you are. That can be moved. So if you were to go to Florida, for instance, you could change your service address and move it to Florida and pick up service there if there is availability in your cell. So you would lose this, the capability at home, and it would pick it up in Florida, and then you would pick it up at home when you came back if there was availability. I mean, that's always an issue with Starlink. But having 4,700 satellites up in the air means that they get more and more service. The second is called mobile. And mobile replaces what used to be called the RV plan. <laughs> so mobile means that you have no real home address and that you're mo moving between um, destinations and Moving you just around. and you can set it up as many times as you want. There is no you don't have to confirm with them where your location is. You just set it up and it works. Now the cell limitations that could hurt you there. Not really, because you are at a lower priority than the people who are already assigned to so that cell. So you could cell. be kind of throttled. Yes, that's the good word. Uh -huh. They will throttle you. You're at the low end of the priority. Of so that's, that's the disadvantage of having an RV plan. You could have a lower quality. Well, what I'm going to call the RV plan, what they call is mobile. That's confusing. Now, the third plan <laughs> don't is... Get, don't get that one unless you really mean it. Well, yes. I should mention that the RV plan uses the same satellite hardware that the, the residential, residential plan. plan. So those two are the same. And the dish is, is small and, and light, so almost anybody could set it up. But the third one is the mo mobility plan, and that is in motion. Now, most people don't need in motion. This is a permanent dish that's mounted to the top of your RV, and it'll work while you're driving down the road as long as you have a view of the, of the sky. The dish itself is $2,500. I'm seeing it kind of cut in and cut out depending on where uh, you're driving and uh, what you're under. And hello. I'm trying to envision Especially that. in a city. Yeah. You know, if you're driving out in the desert, you're probably okay. Yeah. But And a lot of roads are have, you know, they're kind of, they've got the trees cut down and stuff. So, but who, I don't know how, how well it works. But for $2,500, I'm not going to find out either. And then we need to mention that the basic plan is $200 a month, whereas the RV plan or the mobile plan is only $150 a month, as long as you stay on this continent. <laughs> and you're not allowed to go. Well, and this is an issue because some boaters are oh, yeah. trying to use it. And we're hoping that when we go on our cruise later this month that we will be using Starlink and we'll check it out to see how it works on a ship. So there are some interesting things happening with Starlink. And, and then I read this article. This is unbelievable. China's strategic move to challenge Starlink. Can you believe this? Yes. Yes. Starlink has been at the leading innovator in satellite internet market with its constellation of 4,700 operational satellites accounting for 55% of the total. China is way behind, but is rapidly working to catch up and surpass Starlink. The China Satellite Network Group, 
backed by the Chinese Communist government, plans to launch a staggering 12,992 satellites into low Earth orbit. Its initiative, known as GW, aims to provide an alternative Internet service worldwide and means to disable Starlink satellites. China's strategic move is not merely about establishing a position in the satellite Internet market. It is a calculated maneuver aimed at securing China's position and potentially disabling Starlink. China being China, it cannot be content to develop a program to provide Internet service to its own 1.4 billion people, must aggressively seek the ruination of Starlink in the process. The article goes on, and there's quite a lot more detail, but you might want to take a look at that. And where can you find this? On our website. On our website for this episode, episode 220 of the RV Navigator for August of 2023. The link will be there for that article, and you might want to take a look at it. I, this is the first time I've read about China going into, well, disabling Starlink. That's quite something that I would find hard to believe. But it is interesting that uh, two of the companies that are competing with Starlink in the Western world. I have this vision of the sky being so full of satellites that the sunshine won't make it to the Earth and we won't have to worry about global warming. Well, anymore. I frankly think that Starlink is on track to put up like 9,000 satellites. So, uh-huh. I mean, well, the Earth's a big thing. And they want to provide Internet service throughout to everybody. the everybody. So back to other travel. We, we missed a little section here about why we're taking Iceland Air to Europe. Money, money, money. <laughs> money for us? <laughs> We found that uh, Iceland Air business class was about the cheapest way to get to Europe. If you're thinking about flying to Europe and you don't mind stopping off in Reykjavik, then you might want to consider Iceland Air. Well, and we should also add that we're trying to get to Bergen, and you can't just fly nonstop from Chicago, which is definitely our top choice, but not right. available. We had to make a stop someplace, and rather than going to Southern Europe someplace uh, from Chicago, we can fly directly from Reykjavik to Bergen, Norway, on a nonstop flight. So we fly from Chicago to to Reykjavik, and then on to Bergen a few hours later, which is actually distance-wise, it's actually shorter than flying to any other stop. And Reykjavik Airport is very nice. And they actively promote stayovers. Do they still? Oh, yeah. Because when you and I did it, they were not so well-known, and Iceland wasn't so overrun with people taking selfies at strategic icebergs. So whenever you take Iceland Air, you're going to stop off. But you can stay over for as long as you want to at no additional cost. Good deal. So if you want to see Iceland, and I think Iceland is one of the hot tourist areas in the world right now. If you want to stay over in Iceland for a while, this is a nice way to do it if you're on your way to Europe or wherever they fly. So you might want to consider that. And how are you going to pay for it? With my credit card. With your credit card. And we get questions about... Are premium credit cards worth it? And by premium, I mean one that you pay a fairly high. A lot. A premium credit card typically has an annual fee of $395 or higher. Some consider products with cards in this fee range to be an ultra-premium credit card, and premium cards have annual fees of above $100. To me, it's an easy question to answer because you just need to look at the services, perks associated with that credit card and decide if you make use of those or not. Our go-to credit card these days is the Chase, Chase Sapphire. Sapphire Reserve, right. which does cost us four fifty a year. Ultra premium. Ultra premium. But 
Uh, they do give you a lot of benefits, which you might want to consider. If you, it's, <laughs> it sounds like this is Ken and Martha going off on on a tangent, but if you are considering getting a credit card for travel, then you might want to consider this our, the one we're using, the Chase. We're, and we're not pay, they're not advertising with us, are they? Are they paying for this? No, no. no. Now I'm thinking about if I'm just an RVer, can I get enough benefits out of that card? I'm thinking not. I'm thinking yes. Really? Yeah. Why? What well, would you, one of the things. What, what well, would you use as a well, driving the, traveler? Well, most people f- travel at least once a year outside outside their RV. They do. Well, I would think so. Oh. And the thing, the first thing that happens is is that the first three hundred dollars of your travel expenses for hotels or planes or cruises or whatever is automatically deducted. So that brings the fee down to $150. Ding, ding. From, from $450 down to $150. So that's that's a good thing there. And then we like the Priority Pass, which is an expensive option. It lets you go into lounges when you don't have that premium ticket. If I'm only flying once a year... I, a, I know why we have it. I'm trying to think bucks of, a day. of an RVer that's not flying around. And the, world. the insurance, the travel insurance, is another big benefit. Right. And they offer trip cancellation, baggage insurance, and medical insurance when you're away from home by more than a hundred miles. You might recall the exciting ten days when we were locked into a hotel room <laughs> during COVID, yeah. and we had time and took that time to read all the fine print, which we never do well enough, about what all that that card would give us if we had medical this and that or delays or whatever. And the insurance that it offered was very complete. We felt very confident that even if the hotel charged us a lot of money, which they did not, that the card would ultimately cover it. It was very reassuring to read all that stuff because when you travel overseas with typical tour companies, they often try to sell you an additional travel insurance policy. Which are very expensive. Which is very expensive. Even if you only travel once a year, why pay for something that you can get in another way? So that, to me, is one of the most valuable things in that card. That and the three to one points for all your expenses. So every time you spend a dollar on travel, you get three frequent flyer miles or miles that you could spend on other travel experiences. We have really enjoyed using the miles that we have racked up that way with getting business class travel on our next trip, let's say. But the trend lately has been that airlines have upped the required miles that you need. Yes. We're getting five nights in Bergen for free. Right. You can use it in a hotel, too. We we made the expenses. We bought the stuff, and we're getting five nights in Bergen for free. There's no question in my mind that it's the right decision for us. And that's another big benefit of this card. So they recommend... The American Express card, I'm going to put a link to a article about this. I'm not really promoting the credit card that we just mentioned, the one that we use. Cards that are good for travel. Right. And you might want to consider getting one. Just And it is, to us, cost-effective. Okay. For our lifestyle. Well, I think for a lot of people. Everybody flies once or so times a year. No, they don't. You should. Yes, you should. <laughs> The coverage for trip cancellation stuff is just, well, that's a big benefit. Especially if you have a family. Flying is expensive. Yeah. And all the family members we know fly more than we do. Yeah, well. (laughs) 
the secrets to snagging coveted camping spots after they're all sold out. Oh, this fries me. Like the, the very recently, as we told you, we went to the Indiana Dunes State Park. We had a reservation. We drove in to check in, and there's that sign, campground full. And I thought, is it really? And we took a no. nice walk after dinner. We I think we walked almost the whole thing. There were numerous empty sites. And we've inquired about this. And sometimes they say, well, somebody booked the site and didn't cancel it with us. But sometimes I think they're just too lazy to monitor that stuff in the middle of the summer it's and it's a beautiful campground and if if the site is empty somebody should be able to book it but how do you do that if you don't know that the campground isn't really full so this article uh, from the wall street journal is about reservations at national says national parks but i think and state parks and state parks right this is called a website called campflare.com and of course it's a app right and then they actually talk about half a dozen different apps that help you find last minute openings last minute cancellations yeah their blurb not every person who snags a reservation at a national or state park ends up using it whether they go through the process of canceling or not you can snatch up these empty spots last minute mostly more than half a dozen services now comb websites for canceled reservations they charge anywhere from 10 per search to $80 per year with the promise that they'll alert campers about canceled site reservations. Campers also have free options, including Facebook groups and, time permitting, simply refreshing their web browser repeatedly in the hopes of something pops up in 2023. 51.4 million people camped in the U.S., according to Outdoor Industry Association. The number of camp sites in national parks has stayed relatively flat, and so you're going to have a hard time finding campgrounds. And these sites, after you look at this website, this article, uh, will help you find last-minute site reservations, I guess. We haven't used it yet, but I would like to hear what you, what you think. There actually is a Facebook group that's dedicated to that, too. I'm envisioning these little AI robots crawling around monitoring all this stuff, which seems more and more feasible. Right. So our last article this month is going to be about how well can an electric pickup truck tow. Not well at all. <laughs> this is from Consumer Reports. The Bible of consumerism, with Ford and Rivian making big claims about their towing capacities of their EV trucks and new electric models from Chevrolet, GMC, and Ram racing to into production. We wanted to know how well EV pickups compare with traditional models when towing at or near their maximum capacity. We also wanted to see how much towing affects range. To find out, we pulled a five-ton box trailer on a 74-mile loop on our near our test track in Connecticut using a Ford F-150 Lightning and a Rivian R1T. We found significant reductions in the range of both trucks when pulling a heavy trailer and believe that the short ranges and current lack of robust nationwide charging network could make EV pickups impractical for long hauls with a trailer. On the other hand, we also discovered that EV pickups have some advantages when it comes to driving and towing dynamics. So you want to take a look at this article if you're thinking of... Oh, get to the bottom line. How far did they get on that, what was it, 270-mile route? I don't know. Oh, 
<laughs> it was like they were trying to go 270 miles and they went 85. No, it says they're trying to go 74. Okay. Well, stay tuned. We'll have to get you, have to get you the results. The distance that they traveled was. It says, to find out, we pulled a five-ton trailer on a 74-mile loop, loop near. But they didn't finish it, did they? Didn't they? I don't know. I, didn't I can't remember what the article. <laughs> you told me about it when you were reading I it. I know, but I don't remember. Okay. No, that wasn't from the that Consumer was a Reports. article? <laughs> so, the... The suspense will build as we find out the answer to this question. How far can you really go? I'll try to put it up on the website. Yeah, do. Oh, so that's the question. How far did the electric truck go? Martha says less than 74 miles. 74 miles is nothing. I know. That was my feeling. I can't imagine it it going less than 74 miles. This is not ready for prime time. No. Well, I think we already figured that out. (laughs) And a five ton, 10,000 pounds, is not really huge. Not by any standard. Fifth wheel that we towed was 14. <gasps> oh, that's a big difference. And that we took, uh, I had a 250 diesel. Right. So that the was. The Duramax. And how do you remember the Duramax? Because people kept asking me, how do I like my Duramax? So we've left our listeners uh, with suspense in their minds. <laughs> will the electric truck make it through the 74 miles? And will you be able to find the right answer while you're in Norway looking at the fjords? That's going to be a problem. Uh-huh. It may not be on the website, but you can check. <laughs> we'll try to put it there. Well, dear listener... It has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, and we've had a little bit of nostalgia, lots of eclectic topics. And next month we'll be talking about the fjords of Norway and how we are enduring the snow. Snow? <laughs> In August. Uh, anyway, um, we are very glad to talk with you. We will have good Starlink internet on the ship, so we should be able to yeah, answer we'll your emails. You know and, and I hope I have good internet so I can put this up on the web so that everybody can, can download it. So, we will pass it on to next month and let you know how things are going. Happy travels, stay healthy, and in September we may see you at a campground near us. 